the help of Hashem, we are learning Babakama Daf Kuf Tezvav. We left off on Daf Kuf Yudalid Ahmed Bey's 11 lines from the bottom by the Mishnah. We have a, an amazing Mishnah here. It says the Mishnah like this Hamakir Kalov. Let's speak about Reuven. Reuven recognizes that his utensils or Usfarov, his Sefer, whether it's a Sefer Taira, whether it's what we call Svarim, is Biyadachir. He sees his stuff in Shimon's house. Now hold on. On top of that, there was a rumor that already circulated in the city that there was a Geneva, there was a theft, or there was a robbery in Reuven's home. And Shimon is saying, one, one second, I bought this from Levi. I never knew it was stolen. I paid for it. Reuven is saying, listen, you might have bought it from Levi, but Levi stole it from me. And there is already a rumor that there was a theft in the house of Reuven. So that is enough circumstantial evidence and a lot more in the Gemara for us to say that indeed these utensils, these kalim, belong to Reuven. Again, more details that we can know that these used to belong to Reuven. Being that there is a rumor that there was theft, we don't say Reuven sold it. Now he regrets it, so he's shrying there was a theft. No, there's already a rumor. So now Shimon has to give back these articles to Reuven. We're going to see a lot more, God willing, on Tezvav, whether it was Yush. Let's not forget that if there was Yush, and now there's Shinui Rishus, even if there was theft, not everyone holds that it has to be returned. That really goes back to the beginning of the Patek. Do we go by Rabchizda? Rabchizda was the one that said it. That, you know, the victim can collect from whoever he wants. Our Mishnah not only is saying that Reuven gets it back, but now our Mishnah is saying something interesting. That first, Yishavaloy Likeach, Kama Nasan, Shimon, first Reuven gets it back. But now Shimon is told in Beisden to swear how much he paid to Levi. He's coming, he got it from Levi. And Vigitoil, and that money he takes from Reuven. Ah. So Reuven gets the item back, but Reuven has to pay him to Shimon. One second, it was stolen. So as we will learn in the Gemara, that this is part of what we call Takonas Hashuk, the Tikkun, or the decree that the rabbis made to make sure that commerce flows properly. Imagine, if I buy any item, and there's always a possibility, if there's always a possibility that what I'm buying is stolen. I'm honest, but I would not know that. And if the original owner would be able to retrieve it from me without me getting paid back, people would be afraid to buy things. They would only buy things when the imamish need it. So in order for the marketplace to function properly, now that we are accepting that this was taka stolen, and again more details, not only was it stolen, but in a way that through Uven, the original owner gets it back, he gets it back. But the buyer who's claiming innocence, and as far as we know, he was not the one that stole it, he bought it from someone else. He gets paid from Reuven. The question we'll have in the Gemara is, what happens if the Ganav is found? So maybe in such a case, let the buyer get the money back from the thief. Don't forget, he gave the money to the thief. Whether we say that or regardless, he gets it back from the owner, we'll leave that God willing to Kuftazvav, we'll get, we'll get there, God willing, today. Now, the Imlav, meaning, if there is no rumor that there was a theft, so laf kol heimenu, Ru'uvin is not going to be believed, because Sha'ani Yoimeru, I say, in other words, Beisden can say, maybe Ru'uvin willingly sold it to Levi, how do you know he didn't sell it to him? And this Shimon, who has a cheskas kashrus, bought it from that person. Ulokachan zeheimenu, so when do we actually allow Reuven to take it back? When there was a rumor that there was a Geneva, and on which the Gemara asks, I mean, now we're going into the whole sugya of circumstantial evidence. So what if there's a rumor? Play more. Maybe Reuven made a rumor. Asks the Gemara, Zabninu, maybe Reuven is the one that sold it. And Vuhu Niu, Komapik Shema, he's the one that's making noise. Answers the Gemara, Amrav Yudamarav, our Mishnah speaking, that we do a people that were in his house, there were guests there. And they are saying that Vahamid Vihivkin Balaila, that in the middle of the night Reuven got up and he began to make a whole tumult. 
Oi, there was a theft. And Vahman, and he was shouting at night, that Nignafu Kalai, that my utensils were stolen. Answer, asks the Gemara, what kind of proof is that? What was the question? Okay, there's a rumor. Maybe he made the rumor. So what are they answering? He made the rumor during the night when there were guests in the house. So what? Maybe the whole thing is, is, is false. The whole thing is a, is a Geneva. Kochrin Ilamatsa. But Reuven sold his precious Sefer Torah. He wants it back. But he sold it willingly. So he waited to have guests. Chacham. And in the middle of the night, he gets up and he shrieks, Oh, hey, Geneva. That doesn't answer the question. So Rav Kahana says, because the answer was given by Rav Yehuda Amarav. Rav added, It wasn't just that the guests are confirming that Reuven began to make a tumult, a gavalt. No, they actually saw a tunnel dug under his house. And not only did they see the tunnel, that was the means through which Ganovim got in and out, they also say, yeah, yeah, other people, guests, were with us as well. And we saw some of those people that slept in his house, that Yatsu, the Anbur Kiroi Shalkelem Al And they had bundles of utensils, you know, in the bag, running out from the tunnel. Ah, that's not Reuven, that's other people that were there that are testifying to that. And because of that, everyone Taka says, Nignavu Kelem Shalfunayni. So now when Reuven says to Shimon, hey, those are mine, then we take a believe that it's his pshat, it was those utensils that were stolen. Still asks the Gemara of Dilma, Kalem havu svarim lehavu, the words that Rav Kahana quoted in the name of Rav, is that the other guests saw the tunnel, they say that they take a saw Ganavim leaving there, they saw bundles of utensils, so only utensils. He's, the Mishnah spoke about utensils and svarim. So Amar Abchei Barav, Amar Abi Yechanan, Kegoyin de Kamrin Ami Svarim, and Rav didn't say it, but that it has to be that way. Reuven will only be believed to get his Svarim back, even though he'll have to pay for it. But the very fact that he gets it back is that there are people who attest that Ganavim stole Svarim also. Still, the Gemara asks, why is that enough? The Dilma Lechushuzutre, the Kotoyin Rav Revi, maybe Kalim that were stolen were small ones. The ones that he's claiming might be big ones. You know, it's even though there, are, there, there is witnesses that attest to the fact that there was a Geneva and they actually saw utensils being stolen, maybe it was small utensils and he's claiming big ones. It's this sort of circumstantial evidence will not be enough. It only works if outside people specify those and those books we saw on the backs of those guests who are leaving the house through a tunnel. Why were they leaving the house through a tunnel? They were invited as guests because they stole. So it's mamish, almost like evidence. Still, the Gemara says it's not good enough. The Dilmahaviyatiki, maybe the Svarim that they took were older ones. And he's claiming newer ones. Or it's maybe he himself had old ones and new ones. The old ones were stolen. He sold the new ones. And he wants the new ones back. New Svarim have more value than old Svarim. We're not speaking about today, Vesech people with the old Svarim that has a lot of value. A Sefer Torah, a brand new Sefer Torah is going to be good. And the old Sefer Torah many times have to be corrected the whole time. They have less value. So Amar Rab, still Rab added, going to Amri, Halalu Kelov Shoplanu, Halalu Kelov Shoplani. You know, the din of the Mishnah is so limited now. First of all, there are people that were in the home, that they saw the tunnel, they saw people leaving, and they specified, we saw that Sefer was stolen. And later Shimon has it. Shimon claims, I bought it from Levi. We don't know yet where Levi is. So the Mishnah says, since we know that this was stolen, give it back to Reuven. And again, the Chiddush of the Mishnah is, is that Reuven has to pay the buyer. And again, more details. Yehosh, not Yehosh, we'll get that soon. Still asks, Wow. You know, we learned many times together the rule of which means that if a person does one action, for which is Chayiv Misa's based in, for example, if a person, God forbid, broke the Shabbos, and that act of breaking Shabbos was an act of Geneva, then he doesn't have to compensate the financial compensation for the Geneva, because we give the person the more serious punishment. Here we're amplifying this rule. We're saying that if a person does an act, that this act could have caused him to get killed, not through based in. What act, but through whom, when will killing be permitted? 
In self-defense, a person is allowed to kill. Self-defense, a person is obligated to kill. So here's the rule. If a person tunnels into our homes, that means that he breaks into the house in a hidden way. Chazal say, he's coming there to steal. But the fact that he's hiding, meaning he's not like the goslin that's not intimidated by the victim. He doesn't want to be caught. If the victim, if the balabas will confront him, he might kill the balabas. And therefore we view him as a potential murderer. And therefore the balabas has the right, and again sometimes the responsibility to kill him. So Habbabi Machteres is forfeiting his life. And therefore Rav already said that when a person tunnels into someone's home, and this is not only Rav, this is even Rav Yechanan, everyone, all the damage that he causes, he doesn't have to pay for. Why not? Come lay with Rav Okay, even though he wasn't actually killed. But that's something that we learned a few times in this Masechta, that the Vedab Chizkiah says, that Kam Lebe isn't only said where you're actually Chayiv Misas Bezin. Remember that? The person is Mechal Shabbos B'Shoigig, since Chilol Shabbos B'Mezid would demand a punishment, a capital punishment. So any sort of Chilol Shabbos, if that act also is an act of monetary damage, you don't have to pay for the money. So if a person who is Baba Machteris damages, he doesn't have to pay. That's if he does damage. What happens if he steals? And the item that he stole is Ba'en. Rav says even that does not have to be returned. Nachamol. That Babi Machteris Venatul Kalim, even here, Vyatza Patir, Maitama, because Bidame Kananu, he bought it with his blood. But since he forfeited his life, Kamlay. So if the whole case is that there were other guests that are testifying that there was a Geneva through a Machteres, so then the Ganef acquired it, and if he sold it to Shimon, he sold Shimon what's his. So why would he have to return the item? Answers the Gemara, Hanamili, the Kananu, when does Raf say that Ababa Machteres, because he forfeited his life, acquires whatever he stole? Not only does he not have to pay for the damages that he causes, he doesn't have to give back the items that he stole. That's only Bibbabi Machteres. Only a person who entered the house through a tunnel. In other words, he forfeited his life. But these people, they were guests. They didn't enter, they didn't tunnel into the house. They only tunneled out of the house. When the Ganef is leaving the house, he can't kill him. Because you only can kill him because if you confront him, He's going to kill you. Once he's leaving, don't confront him and he won't kill you. So there's no... When do we say now Rav is going back to the second din that when Reuven gets it back, he has to pay Shimon, which is amazing, because once we establish it was stolen, why would he have to pay him? Takana Sashuk. When does he have to pay him? Only if he's a known person to sell his utensils. But if he never sells his utensils, going to Davkuf Desvav, Loi Tzarech Lahaduri Ah, Aleiko I correct myself. What Rav is saying is that the limitation of the Mishnah, that you need to have such a specific rumor, and if not, what do we say? Maybe he sold it. That's if he's known to sell his Kalim. So he's claiming theft. How do you know it was theft? So you have to have a rumor that's almost, it's almost like Adam already. I mean, you don't have Adam that Shimon took it, which is why Shimon gets his money back, but you have to know that this was stolen. If, if he's a person that doesn't sell his utensils, then you don't need so, so many details. And like Rashi says over here, you don't need for the witnesses to say, for the rumor to be, say for the Pliny or Pliny. Those Sfarim were stolen. You have to have witnesses that say that there was a Geneva and people were seen leaving a tunnel. But you don't have to get into the details. Says the Gemara, well, if you don't have the details, so why don't you say, he normally doesn't sell his utensils. Maybe he needed money. And he did sell now. Maybe Reuven now needed money. And Vizabin, and he did sell. Omar Ravashi answers Ravashi. Since there is a rumor already, and that's not a rumor that Shimon could have made. A rumor that came from other guests who saw people leaving the house like thieves. So in the balance of things, and together with that, Reuven doesn't sell his utensils. So in such a case, you don't need for the rumor to be so specific. Reuven takes it back. But again, Reuven has to pay to the buyer. The victim has to pay the buyer. That's part of what we call takonas hashug.
Continues the Gemara more about Takana Sashuk. It was stated, Gonav, Umachar, Vachar, Kachukar, Haganov, that if after Levi was the Ganav in our example, and Shimon is the innocent buyer, and at the Mishnah we learned that when Reuven retrieves his stolen item from the buyer, Mipnei Takana Sashuk, he has to give to Shimon the money. Question will be what happens if we discover who the Ganav is. So now there is an option of Levi, the Ganav, having to compensate Shimon. Question is, does Reuven have to give money to the buyer, to Shimon? Or maybe now that we know who the Ganav is, let the buyer go deal with the Ganav. So here we have a Machleke Samaroim. Rav, in the name of Rebbe Chia, says, Hadin im Hodishain. Now we will teach Hadin, as Rashi explains, we'll understand Rav as meaning the Balabas, which means Reuven, not the buyer, the Balabas has to deal with the Ganav. We still apply Takana Sashok. The buyer, the Lekeach Shimon, will get the money from Reuven. Now that you know who the Ganav is, so lucky owner. But the buyer has zero headache. However, Rabbi Yechanan Mishmei, the Rabbi Yanai says, the way we're learning it now, that Hadin Im Hasheni, meaning that the Balabas doesn't have to deal with the Ganav, the Balabas retrieves his item from Shimon. We don't have to make Akana Sashuk here because Shimon has whom to go now that we know that Levi stole it and he'll get his money back from Levi. Says on this Rabbi Yosef that Le Pligi, that really Rav and Rabbi Yechnan don't argue. Khan, when Rabbi Yechnan says there is no Takana Sashuk, this is what we spoke out the kids when we learned the Mishnah, we are referring to a case that the owner did not yet have Yush. And therefore, as we learned in the beginning of this Pedic, that even when a third party is innocent, if the owner still owns the article because he did not have Yush, which means that the owner can retrieve it from the buyer without having to pay him any money. And therefore, the one who has the headache, who has to deal with the Ganav? Shimon has to deal with the Ganav. Khan and Rav, who said that even though they discovered the Ganav, Reuven has to compensate Shimon the buyer. That's because it was La'achad Ayush. And therefore, really, La'achad Ayush, Shimon should get to keep it. But they decreed that Reuven gets it back, but Reuven has to compensate. Hadin im harishain. That shitas Rabbi Yosef. And therefore, Vitarvayu, as we explained, hold of Rabbi Chizda. Now, Abaye disagrees with Rabbi Yosef. And Omale Abaye, Veloi, Pligi, are you telling me that they don't argue? Ha, behold, Matnas Kuhunam. The din is, and here there's a machlaikis tanoim. Whether the following halacha only applies in Eretz Yisrael. If I'm not mistaken, that Shitas Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi and the other Chachamim who hold that the following applies everywhere, and that's called Matnois Kuhuna de Matanois, which means that from an ox or from a sheep or from a goat, when a commoner slaughters it, in other words, in non hegdish animals, the Zroya, the four leg, this is the front right leg, and the Lechoyayim, which are the jaws, which if I'm not mistaken, that includes the tongue, and the keva, an animal, a kosher animal, has four stomachs. One of these stomachs are called the keva, in English it's, think it's called the moa. They have to be given to a kain. Now, the din is, the Gemara takes it for granted, that matonis, matonis kohone kalifne yush domi. A kain never has yush. That means if he doesn't get it from the butcher, he can collect it from the buyer. And nevertheless, a buyer is going to prove that in such a scenario, still there will be a machlaikis, and not like you're saying, pligi. where do we see that? So the Mishnah says like this, that if a buyer tells a butcher, I want to buy the entire interior of the cow, and in there you have the, the keva, the keva really should be given from the butcher to the coin, the butcher did not give it to the coin, the butcher sold it to the buyer. So the din is, says the Mishnah, that if what was articulated during the sale, sell me the me'ayim, okay, he didn't charge him extra for the keva, and therefore no theft happened. Noisnan lakayin, the buyer gives the keva to the kayin, and the ein menakaloim and hadamim, and he cannot deduct anything off the price that they agree to, because the butcher is going to rightfully claim he never charged them for the keva to begin with. 
However, here's the problem. If, like a chimeno b'mishkal, if it was bought on weight, in other words, he paid for the full weight. Really, the kaver should not have been sold to the buyer because the kaver belongs to the kayan. Says, let's read it with the bach, b'mishkal noisen l'kayan, the buyer has to give the kaver to the kayan. In other words, the owner, just compared to the case of our Mishnah, the owner, in our Mishnah's Reuven, here the owner is the kayan. The Rishayim, the Ganef, is the butcher. And the Lekeach, the Sheni, is the buyer. So, meaning that he deducts it off the money that he pays to the butcher. In other words, when the Kayan takes the Keva, the Kayan does not pay to the buyer for the Keva. He takes it, and the buyer gets his money back from the butcher. And on this says Rav, and other, there's no takana sashuk. But on this says Rav, that's only correct if the buyer was the one that initiated the theft. He was the one that did the weighing. So therefore, of course, he won't get his money back. But Rav makes it clear, and again, here we're taking it for granted that the matnas kohuna are never despaired by the kayan, so there's no yush, and still... Rav is saying that in such a case, if the one that waited to the buyer was the tabach, the butcher is the ganif, then hadin im hatabach, which means that the client does have to pay the money to the buyer, and the client now has to deal with the butcher to get his money back. In other words, Rav is clearly saying that even lifna yish, even when you know what the ganaf is, we still apply this din of the mishnah takana sashuk, which is that the owner has to give the money back to the buyer. To which Rabbi Yosef responds, "Don't learn that pshat in the mishnah." Ema say that what Rav is learning in the mishnah is af dinim No, since you know what the ganaf is, if the coin wants, the coin can pick up the caver from the buyer without paying him anything. Kishitas Rabbi Yosef and Shitas Rav. However, what Rav is adding is that if the Kayan wants, the Kayan doesn't have to pick up the Kava by the buyer. The Kayan can go to the Ganav, to the butcher, and tell the butcher, you sold my Kava? Give me its value. In other words, the Kayan has a choose. He can even go to the butcher. And what, what, what's the Chiddush here? Mao the Tema. In other words, that should be the Din. So explains Rabbi Yosef. In Rav's explanation in the Mishnah, the Mal the Tema, you would have thought that we would say, like by land, that Karka ain't an exelus, we might say that ain't matonis kuhuna nixolis, that you can never steal matnas kuhuna, meaning that wherever the cave is, it's always considered to be Sakayan, meaning the butcher never stole, meaning, yeah, the coin picks it up from the Likeach, but the coin doesn't have even the option just to get its value. From the butcher. So for that, Komash Mulan, that af din imatabach. That is the way Rabbi Yosef explains Rav in the Mishnah. Abaya strongly disagrees. Abaya holds that the machlekes between Rav and Rabbi Yechanan is even before Yush. In other words, Hukaraganov, Rav says we still apply Takana Sashuk, and Rabbi Yechanan holds that in there's no takana sashuk. Says the Gemara will abide on my plea, give him my plea. So the Gemara says that what will be under their argument, Gavaldik, will be in Abchizda. What does Rabbi Yechenon hold? What does Rabchizda say? That if the owner doesn't have Yush, then he remains the owner and he can pick up his article from the third party. And therefore, why would he have to pay him? That's the holding of Rabchizda. Rav will disagree with Rabchizda. As we learned in the beginning of this Patek, Rami Bar he holds that even before you, since the buyer is innocent, the owner cannot pick it up from him. Now actually what we're learning here is, is that if the article is Ba'en, he takes back his article, but he has to give him the value, he has to give him the money. Mm-hmm. That is the way Aviyasev learns, that's the way Abaya learns. Now we're learning another interpretation in the Machlekes Rav Rabbi Yechenen. Rav Zvid, Omar, Kigoyind, Adarab. We're speaking, Rav and Rabbi Yechenen are referring to a case that there was Yush, but the sequence of Yush is not like the sequence we were learning until now. Until now we were learning, when it comes to a third party, that when there is Yush and Shinoi Rishos, so now the, the other party owns it. Here, what would happen if first there was Shino Rishos and only then there was Yush? Was at that point, once the buyer bought it, 
like in the case of our Mishnah, the owner is Reuven, Levi stole it, when Levi stole it, Reuven did not give up hope yet, there was no Yush. Levi sold it to Shem and he still didn't give up hope. Now he gave up hope. So the question is, do we say that if the Yush happened after the Rishina Rishus, so now the buyer never acquired it, or since there was both, even though it was out of the normal order, bottom line is you have both Shina Rishus and you have Yush, and, the, and therefore the owner the buyer does own it. And that will be the underlying machlekes. The owner did not despair when it was still in the hands of the Ganav. That Marsovar, meaning Rabbi Yechanan, that only Yish and then Shinirishus, only then do we say that the buyer owns it. However, if there is Shinirishus and then there is Yish, so therefore Loikani does not acquire it. And if he did not acquire it, that's the key. Then the owner can demand the article without needing to pay to an RK Shimon. Now, if they would not identify the Ganif, so part of the Chiddush of Takana Sashuk would be that he has to pay him. However, now that we identify the Ganif, there's no Takana Sashuk. Masha'ink and Rav says Loishna. Now look at the Gavaldikite of what Rashi interprets here. Rav is, Rav Zvid is saying that being that Rav holds that it doesn't matter in what sequence, if you have both Shinurishus and Yush, the buyer acquired it, that would mean that not only that the owner would have to pay, in our case, Ruvum would have to pay Shimon. Rashi says, Loishna, I'm reading inside Rashi, the Kani Legamri, that the buyer acquires it, he cannot even give him the money and take it back. That's what Rav is saying. Wow. So it's the key of their machlek is it's not about hukar haganov, but it's about when there was yush. Obviously, it doesn't fit well into the words of Rav and Abi Echnon. And now we're going to have the final interpretation of their machlek is, which is Rav Papa. What is very interesting is that we learned the top of the, the Itmar, the way Rashi explained it. And the way Rashi explained it is that when Rav said the words that Hadin im Harishain, Rav was speaking about the Balabas. That the Balabas deals with the Rishain. means the Balabas has to pay the buyer. The Balabas knows who the Ganav is. The Balabas has to go get the money back from the Ganav. Rav Papa is actually interpreting the whole statement of Rav, the opposite. Let's read it inside. Rav Papa Amar, first of all, Rav Papa is going to hold that they both hold of Rav Chizna. Rav Papa is going to hold that the case of Dir Machlekes is when there was no Yish. In other words, the only question is, money, who does the money come from? Who has to deal with the Ganif? And the Glima, the Kola Alma, like we said, the question is, being that the Ganif was found, did they say that the owner has to pay the buyer? Rav, in the name of Rav holds. Now look how we're going to touch the opposite. Hadin, meaning the din of the loikeyach. The buyer has to deal with the Ganif. Meaning the owner does not give him back the money. We don't make takana sashok. That din of the loikeyach, the lishkul zuzim Ganif. Rav is the one, according to Rav Papa, that holds Voloyosubai Kakana Sashuk. Rabbi Yechanan, in the name of Rabbi Yannai, says, Hadin Amasheni, meaning the din of the Lekeach, ah, Gavaldik, the Lishkomi Balhabayis, even in this case, we make Kakana Sashuk. Asks the Gemara, are you telling me, you Rav Papa, that Rav holds the Sava Rav, that Loyosubai Kakana Sashuk, because we know who the Ganaf is? So there's a logic to that. But how can that be Shitas Rav when Rafuna? Who was Talmidei the Rav Hava? As we keep on learning. So after Rav passed away, Rav Hamnuna Sava took over the yeshiva. And after he passed away, Rav Huna, Amar Afuna Marav. And it's a given that a Talmud will pass in like his Rebbe. So what happened by Rav Huna? That there was a Chanan Bisha. If you remember in the Flamad Zion, when we learned the dinner for Toikeya Bechaveroi, there we were learning a Mishnah about Boishas. And the Mishnah says you have to give a half a Sela which means Salamadini, as we learned there, and Hanan Bisha hit someone on the ear, or shouted in someone's ear, and, the, and, and he was told to pay the half a cellar. He only had a full cellar, but the cellar that he had was an inferior quality coin. He gave it, he wanted change from the victim. The victim didn't want to accept that inferior quality coin. So Hanan, the wicked, that's why he was called the wicked, he hit him again. So he says, okay, good, now you don't owe me anything. So Hanan Bisha once gone of Galima, he stole the cloak, and the Zabna and he sold it. 
And the case here invited is that the owner found it in the hands of the buyer. And the question is whether the owner will have to pay the buyer or whether the buyer will get the money back from Hanan Bisho. So tells that person, Zil go redeem your pledge. In other words, you gotta pay the buyer. He told the owner you have to pay the buyer, even though we know what the ganaf is. Clearly, Rafuna's paskening, not like Rav, if that's the meaning of Rav. Now, why would he not paskin like his Rebbe? Is that not a raya that you're not understanding Pshat and Rav correctly? Says Rab Zavid Nisht, I am understanding Pshat and Rav correctly. Shanai, Chanan Bisha, Kivan the Lekid Lishtaluma Minei, he's called Chanan the Wicked. Meaning that we know who he is, but it will be very difficult, if not impossible, to get the money out of him. So therefore, it's Kishalayhu Kardami, it's as if we did not discover who the Ganif is, and the Kula Alma Maida, that is Takanas Hashuk. That even though Reutzim is Zegoiva, Reutzim is Zegoiva, but if you take, if the owner takes his, art, his item back from the third party, who in his innocence bought it, he needs to be compensated by the owner. Says the Gemara, Amar another din, Im Ganaf Mefursam Hu, that whenever a buyer buys an item from a known thief, here we don't make a Takana Sashuk. In other words, who asked you to buy it from a thief? Should you, know, you should have known that the Ganaf is telling in the vast majority stolen articles. Everyone knew him to be Hanan, the wicked one. And still, in our case, they made Takana Sashuk. Answers the Gemara. One second. He was known for his wickedness. However, no one knew that he's a Ganav. Sadly, one thing leads to the other. But it was not known yet. And therefore, we apply Takana Sashuk. He is like. So even Rav will hold that you have to pay him the money. The owner pays him the money and the owner has to deal with this character, Hanan Bishah. Itmar, it was stated, if a person stole and he used the stolen item to pay back a debt. Now think about it. The lender did not lend him the money on a mashkin, which was a stolen, a stolen item. That was not the case. So therefore, the logic behind Takana Sashuk does not apply over here. Takana Sashuk means that if a person in his innocence will buy something in the market, and later if it's discovered that that item was stolen, he'll lose it, people will refrain from doing business. And you have to have you know, the market circulating. But when people are lending money even without a mashkin, so then if they got repaid by a stolen item, then the owner takes it back and the owner doesn't have to compensate that lender. Let the lender deal with the gun of the borrower. Likewise, gun of a parabekhef, if a person bought something on credit and then later they paid with a stolen item, the owner doesn't have to deal with the third party. Like Rab Chizda says, the way we're learning now, if there's no yiu, she owns it, he takes it back. And the person who got the stolen eye article from a Ganif will have to go deal with the Ganif himself. Because we say, They did not initially do their business based on the stolen item. They lent the money beforehand. They gave him food on credit. Another example, says the Gemara, If a person lent money, but he wanted collateral. And the collateral was a stolen item. Now, normally when people give collateral, the item that they take has to have a lot more value than the loan itself. Like today, think about it. You buy a house, right? Gone are the days that if the house is worth a million, you don't have to put a down payment. You have to put down on a 30% today. In other words, your debt is of 700,000. Your house, which is the mashkin, is worth a million. The mashkin has to be worth more than the debt. So if the mashkin was the way mashkins normally are, more than the debt, and it turns out that the mashkin was stolen, you did lend the money on the guarantee, so we make the takana sashuk. So the lender should not be afraid to lend. People will stop lending, that's the worst thing. Also by takana sashuk. However, the question is, what happens if it was an unusual mashkin, meaning that the value of the mashkin was exactly the value of the loan? Shava bishavim. Normally that would not be a valid mashkin. So you can argue it's ke'ilu, there's hardly a mashkin. Or, on the other hand, no, he took the mashkin. So here we have a machleka samadroim. Amemer says, lo yosu takana sashuk. Marzutra says, yes, also by takana sashuk. Here we have in parentheses whether we'll read it here or not. Let's read it. But we're going to have this later in a few lines from now. And the halacha is that they did make takana sashuk. Another example. What happens if... Um, 
zevina shava b'shava. If a person stole an article and he sold it for its value, so then that's takana sashuk. However, shava ma meya What happens if a person, God forbid, he stole he stole a shmata worth a hundred and he sells it for two hundred? So here you can argue that the person who bought this article and paid double, really he was giving a gift. He wanted to give him the dignity for that person to feel that he made up a business deal. He paid double. Now the question is, if, if the item that he stole is like a stolen, the item that he bought is stolen, and the owner is taking it back, can he say to the owner, I want my uh, $200 that I got for it? Rapshesha says they did not make that kind of sashuk, because the whole thing was really a gift. And Rav says they did make takana sashuk. And on this the Gemara says, or in both cases, the only case where there is no takana sashuk, the first two cases that we learned, which is, a person who got a loan without any guarantee, who later paid back, the borrower paid back with a stolen item, or if a person bought an article on credit, and later he paid back with a stolen item, since the people lent him the money or gave him the article without anything. So there's no fear by the owner taking back what's theirs and not paying for it. It's not going to stop any shook. It's not going to stop or prevent any type of flow of capital in the market. Continues the Gemara. Avimi Barnoze, who was the Chamua de Ravino. Ravimi was the father-in-law of Ravino, and we'll see in a moment Ravino, the big Ravino. He was the Rav in Adin over his father-in-law. Obviously, uh, both parties agreed to that. Havamasik Bahu Gavra Arba Avimi was owed for Zuz, and Ganav Gilima, the debtor, stole a cloak, and Asya Nihale, and he brought it to Ravimi. And Keilu, this is paying my, my, my debt, but lend me more money. So he lent him another forzus. Think about it. The first loan was before any collateral. We just learned that in this case, there's no takana sashuk. He paid him back with a stolen item, but then he gave him another forzus. How do you look at that second forzus? So, and then they discovered who the Ganif is. And they came in front of Ravino. Again, it must be that both the other side accepted Ravina to be the Rav. So, Omar, Ravina, Paskin, like this. Kamoi, the first four Zuz, since you lent him the money without collateral, so when the owner, the rightful owner, took back his cloak, the rightful owner doesn't have to pay you, my father-in-law, the four Zuz. However, he did something good for, for Avimi. Why did he give him the next four Zuz? Because he just gave you a cloak. Ah, and now that he's, if he's going to lose the cloak without getting compensated, so in the future he might not lend money. That's the Takana Sashuk. For that, the owner who wants to take it back has to give you the four Zuz. So on that, Rav Koyen heard this Psagdin and he didn't like it. Why didn't he like it? And he said, Vidilma, why didn't you say differently? Glima bahani zuzi The first loan was given without collateral. When he gave him the stolen cloak, as everyone is made the first four zuz he's going to lose. In other words, the owner doesn't have to give him back the value of the cloak vis-a-vis the first loan because this is mamish ganav uparabachayvei or ganav uparabachayvei. And not only that, Astraf Koyen, even the Arba Zuzi Basroi, he did not give him four Zuz based on a collateral. The cloak was a repayment for the first loan. Now he gave him another loan without collateral. So the owner should be allowed to pick it up without paying anything. Is He trusted him again, even though he trusted him because he got a cloak. But he didn't give it because the cloak was collateral. So he challenged the Psagdim, and he galgal milsa, this is Gavaldik, you know, this, this, this Machloikis rolled, and it came in front of Rabbi Bohu, and he was like the final authority, and he says that the halach indeed is like Rav Koyen. perhaps there's an underlying message, he was a relative, even though both sides agreed, you know, he was trying to help out his father-in-law, continues the Gemara, that Nashra'a, Nashra'a is the name of a place, now someone, a resident of the city Nashra'a, Gonav Sifra stole the safe. And Zavnei 
he sold it to a person who lives in Papuna for Taman and Zuza for 80 Zuz. Now, if we stop the story here, if the owner of the Sefer discovers his Sefer, right, one approach here, Lifne Yish, he'll take it back, Takana Sashuk, I'll have to give him 80 Zuz, but the story didn't stop here. This Papuna went and he sold it to a Lekeach Sheni. He sold it to someone, the Bar to someone who lives in Mechayza. And he made profit and he sold it for 120 zoos. That's the question. And now we recognize the Ganesh. Now the question is number one, Rav or Rabbi Yechanan. Number two, even the way we're learning Pshat, that we don't make, like Rabbi Yechanan, that we don't make that we make that the owner has to pay the Lekeach. How much? The Lekeach paid 120. But maybe Takana Sashuk will suffice for the owner only having to pay the first 80. So look inside the Gemara. So Abayah says, Lazel Marei de Sifra, that the owner of the Sefer has to give to the Bar Mechoizo'a 80. Because the first seal was for 80. The problem is, is that the Choizo'a is not going to lose 40. That at least should be on him. Vishakal Sifri. And the owner gets a Sefer. And the Bar Mechoizo'a Vishakal Arba'in Mipupona will have to get the 40 from the resident of Pupana. And that challenges Rava. One second. As we are learning that even when we recognize the Ganif, we still make Takana Sashuk. I'm sorry. Not when we recognize. The din of Takana Sashuk is that, that the owner has to pay whatever this buyer bought it from a thief if the buyer bought it from another innocent person then for sure he should be fully compensated so Rav disagrees and Rav holds that all the way the owner has to give the buyer which now has his safer whatever that one paid he paid 120 take 120 and he'll take his safer back and now the owner lost 120. So the owner will have to compensate it. But he cannot get compensation from one. He's going to get from the Papuna who earned on his stolen item 40. He'll get that 40 from him. And then from the Ghana, from Narsha, he's going to get back the 18 Givaldic. With this we conclude, Takana Sashuk. And moving on to the next Mishnah. Says the Mishnah. They were speaking about people who suffer a loss when they save someone else's property, when will the owner of the saved property be obligated to compensate? We just had this din um, to Dafago and Dafku Fyud Beis, if I'm not mistaken, or Kufyud Gimel. Baruch Hashem, we're moving, or maybe Kufyudal, if we just had this a few days ago, Zeba b'chavisa yishol yayin, one person is going with his barrel of wine, Zeba b'chavisa yishol dvash, here's where we had in the beginning of the Masechta, that the Mishnah is interchanging chavis and kad, a jug, a barrel, it means the same thing, one had a, a jug or a barrel of wine, another person owned a barrel of honey, and honey, as we mentioned, is more valuable than wine, and Nistika b'chavisol dvash, the one who owned the honey, had his barrel cracked, and he will lose his honey. So came along the owner of the chavis of Yayin and he poured out his wine to use his empty barrel now to save the honey for it not to get lost. And now the wine owner wants to be compensated from the honey owner. Says our Mishnah, this is not like we just learned from Rabbi Shmuel Benoi, that he included this in Takanas or in Tanoi, Tanai Yehoshua, he, the, our Tana holds, Ein loy If he did not articulate, if the owner of the wine did not articulate anything before he spilled his wine out to the honey owner, he cannot get more other than, Rashi says, the labor for his working and saving the honey, whatever the going rate is, and he can charge for the rental of his barrel, which will obviously be less than the value of the wine. However, says the Mishnah Chiddush, even according to the Stanah, if the wine owner said to the honey owner before he poured out his wine, I will now save your honey. 
However, he told him, but you will pay me for my wine? The honey owner did not say anything. Here, that no Kenyan was made. Nevertheless, that's a valid statement and it's binding. Here, the honey owner will have to compensate. And it's not only a chiddush because there was no kinyan, but as we learn in Dafkuf Tazayin, that there is a concept that we say sometimes in other places, Meshata Anibacha, I was just joking with you. We don't say that over here. And he has to compensate him for the way. And now the Mishnah seemingly is repeating the same din in a different scenario. Obviously, if it's exactly the same din, the Gemara is going to explain. That there is a novelty in the following case. Shotav, Nachal, There was a river that, uh, you know, flooded an area. And the river swept away Reuven's donkey and Shimon's donkey. And it happened to be, Shaloi, of a mana, let's say Reuven's donkey was only worth one mana, a hundred dollars. And his friend, Shimon's donkey was worth two hundred mana, two hundred dollars, two hundred zoos. And now, Reuven can only save one of the two. He owned his, but he thought to himself, I'll save the other ones. He went ahead and he let his drown, and he used his time to save Chaveroi. And after he saved Shimon's donkey, he told Shimon, I want you to compensate me for my lost donkey. So the din is Eloi Elas that uh, no, since nothing was articulated, according to the Stana, he only gets the, the, the wage that one would pay for someone to swim in a river and, and save a donkey. Whatever that is, it's definitely worth less than the donkey. However, here again, the Im Amarli, if Ru'uven, before he went to save Shimon's donkey, told him, I want you to know that I'm going to save yours, however, but you will compensate me for my loss. Number one, Shimon did not say anything, but he didn't refute it. Number two, there was no Kenyan made. And as we just spoke out, we don't say, then, asks the Gemara, let's go back to the first case of the Mishnah, and we spoke this out on Toysus, the first time we learned this in the Mishnah, one second, hold on, the wine owner is saving the honey and he's fighting with the honey owner whether he's going to give him all the value of his wine or only his char why don't we say that the wine owner now owns the entire honey Gavaldik, why? because the moment the barrel of the honey cracked l'chura, he uh, gave up hope he saw that his stuff is getting lost and it should become if he has yush, it should become hefkid and now the wine owner acquired it from hefkid why doesn't the wine owner tell the honey, the original honey owner, it's all mine. And Milotanya did we not learn. If a person had jugs of wine and jugs of oil, and that they are breaking, he should not say, I'll pay the Shiyashalutai that whatever I have here should be truma, should be maiser on produce that I have in my house parenthetically obviously not in every case is such a thing even possible we'll speak this out Bekitzer we learned this I think the last time in Saita Daflamid that for one to give truma you have to give only from that which is gathered in front of you it's called min hamukov. but if I have two piles and they're not together then you can't separate from one over the other by the way, that's only the din on Truma. When a levy is giving, giving from his meiser, Truma, Truma's meiser, there's no rule of min hamukov. And there are other exceptions where if not for the current wine or oil being ruined, or being lost, he would be allowed to separate it. But look at the, you know, it's wrong to do it. Lapshat wrong to do it. You know, he's going to lose it anyway. He wants to minimize his loss and he wants to throw the loss on the coin. So the Braisa says, that don't do it, not only don't do it, but the im amar amar klum. And if he made that declaration, it's not valid. Why? Because since his jugs cracked, the wine and the oil are getting lost. So he has yush. And if he has yush, it becomes hefket. If it becomes hefket, it's not his. If it's not yours, you cannot use it to, to separate it for trumus umaisis. So the question is, what's in our Mishnah? So we have to limit the case of our Mishnah. So the Gemara answers that just like we will learn soon, 
elsewhere that there were barrels that had a certain type of netting that was commonly put on barrels of oil sometimes on barrels of honey or on barrels of wine it was a netting that even if the barrel were to crack it would not allow the barrel to crack open it would keep the pieces close enough together true, some honey would be dripping out but very little of it there is no yush and it's not hefkir now Nevertheless, honey is dripping out, so the wine owner felt he's doing a service because his barrel is bechlal not cracked, and he was hoping to get compensated, and that's the din of the Mishnah. Point is that enachanami, if the honey barrel mamish broke, it's hefked, and the wine owner can take it from hefked. But that's not the case of the Mishnah. Hachinami, the Mishnah is only kishayikal beisabat karacholem. Now, now that we quoted the Braisa, hold on. It says the Gemara. It says in the Braisa not where there was a net in the prices that there was no net that the person's barrels are breaking the person wants to make this into the coin's property one second I have a stira because if a person is traveling and he has money with him and he sees a robber coming towards him so he should not say that the produce that I have in my house that is my sashini that I'm allowed to redeem on money, let them be redeemed on this money. Now, the truth is that Maiser Shani also belongs to the owner. Or the owner can benefit from it in Yerushalayim, but nevertheless, if he's going to lose it, he would rather lose Maiser Shani than to lose Chulin that he can benefit anywhere. So here also says the Brai, so you should not make that declaration. However, but if you make the declaration, then the of Kayomim. Now the question is, if you're telling me that when you are going to lose something, it's Yush and it's Hefker, then how can it be Dvar of Kayomen? So the Gemara answers, that in this latter Braisa, it must be speaking about a case, that you see a Ganav, but you know that if you really want, you can fend the Ganav away. You can save it, so you don't have Yush. So one second, so the Gemara says, then why can't he save it? So you can make it into Maizu Shani. Answers the Gemara that the Brais is speaking about a case you can fend off the Ganath with difficulty and therefore don't do it but you don't have Yush ask the Gemara one second you're telling me that since there might be a loss there is a likelihood of loss at least don't designate this for anything holy certainly not to give it to a Koyin for Truma or Truma Smeiser and now Vahatanya and we're going to call this the second Braisa and this Braisa is speaking about and here we're speaking about a Levi because a Levi who's giving Truma Smeiser is not bound by the law that we just mentioned that it has to be given in Hamukov so a Levi has 10 barrels of Tevil that's Tamei now it's good to remember that Truma that's Tamei in as much as midoy rice, so you're not allowed to eat it, but it's mutter bahana'a. So, you know, wood was used for fire, oil can be used for fuel, wine is problematic, you can't eat it. But when you're speaking it out, there was a common use of wine that is called ziluf, which means to sprinkle wine around the home to give a good aroma. So, says the braisa, this second braisa, the levi saw that one of them is cracking, one of them is becoming broken, and he wants to do the same shtick. Anyways, it's going to be broken, let me give this to the coin. Or, or if the barrel was left uncovered, and as we learned a while back, that chazal made a takanon, this is more because of danger. And by the way, when it comes to takanas because of danger, in many, in many, in many ways, we are more stringent. It's called chamira sakanta miisura. Now, when it comes to the following five liquids: wine. When it comes to water, when it comes to milk, honey, and fish brine, Chazal said that in those days, where there were many snakes and scorpions around where people lived, if those five—let's speak about water and wine—were left uncovered. For, in, for enough time that a snake could have come and drank and deposited some of its venom in it and left, you're not allowed to drink it. Because it might be a farsamt. Now, if you had one barrel that was uncovered, so now you can't use it, says 
the Braisa Oimer Harei he Trumas Maiser Al Teisha Chavroi Seha that by wine the Levi could designate this wine as Trumas Maiser. However, by oil he should not do that. Explains the Braisa. What's the difference? Because oil, even though the oil is tummy, the oil can be used for fuel. So giving it now that it's cracked, so fuel has just as much value as consumption. So it has real value. Now that this is cracked and you're designating this as truma, you're making a big loss to the coin. Don't do that. But if to begin with, even if it wouldn't have been cracked, the case of the wine. Wine, the Gemara is going to ask about why not sprinkle it for a good scent. We're going to, it must be speaking about a case that, that, that would not be applicable here. So it has anyways very little value. So if it anyways has a little value, then you could do it. Now what's the kasha? The Gemara is equating minimal loss with possible loss. That if this price is accepting, that by wine where there is minimal loss, stomach, he can't use it anyway, you can give it. So the kasha will be on the first b'raisa, if a ganaf is coming, and there is a likelihood of full loss, there the b'raisa says, yeah, if you, if you did it, it's good, but l'chatchila don't do it. Here we're saying you can l'chatchila do it. Again, that's the equation that possible loss should be like little loss, and they should have the same din, and it's not consistent. Here it says, don't do it l'chatchila, and here it says, you can do it l'chatchila. So the answer is Rabbi Yirmiya, that here, that's the Rabbi Yirmiya, that the b'raisa, the, la, the last b'raisa, is kishe'ekel be'sabat karacholeho, that the wine is not going to spill out a lot, and therefore, you can l'chatchila do it, because to begin with, it's tamay. And not only is it tamay, but if you're going to give it to the coin, the coin is not going to fully lose it anyway. So it's mamish a minimal loss, then you can do it l'chatchila. You gave a good answer in the case of the Braisa, Bish and Ishbara, the Takachazio. Whatever it's good for, it's hardly going to be worth less. It's not worth to begin with that much, so everything is good. Even Machatchila. Elon is Gaulsa, but if the issue is that it was left uncovered, and as we mentioned, Chamira Sakantami Sura, which means that it has no value, Lamai Chazio, how can you give it? It's worth nothing. How can you give it to the coin? And if you're going to say that that the coin can use it to sprinkle, it's not true. We learned that Mayim Shin is Galu, waters that were left uncovered, you're not allowed to pour them out. Because if a person has a cut on his foot and came and hug him, then they didn't have our types of shoes. So, that sandals or open shoes that the water can seep in with venom of a snake and God forbid. And also, the, the Braisa says, you're not allowed to need bricks or need the clay out of it. There also, if a person has a cut in one's hands, then he might get, uh, he might get killed from touching poisoned water. People then had earth floors and sometimes dust came up. To keep dust down, you've got to throw water on it. Don't use that as the water to keep the dust down. You can't give your animals, you can't give your, your friends animals. Some animals are not that sensitive to poison. Some of them are. Can't be mazik your, your, your animals or your friends' animals. So the kasha is, if it is farsam, how can you give it to a coin? It's not right. There's nothing you can do with it. Answers the Gemara, the other Allah bimasnanis, that he can use it if he puts it through a strainer. As Rab Nechemya taught us, interesting that the venom of snakes, they don't mix easily into water or wine or the milk or the honey. They, they're like a sponge, they're sponge-like. The venom, it floats to the top. And if you sift it out, then it will be good. So the cayenne can sift out the venom. But Masnenes, Yeish Bamishum Giloi, that says that in a sifter itself. Think about it. The sifter has two parts. The upper part, above the sifter, and the bottom part. What happens if stuff in the sifter was left uncovered? So it says in Ebraisa, that's a problem. However, on this says Rabbi Nechemiah, that if the sifter itself was left uncovered, you can't use those waters, or wine, or honey, only only if the sifter did not fully cover the bottom part. Was the bottom part was partially exposed. Whatever the, whatever the sifter was didn't go mamish all around. 
But if the sifter fully covered the bottom, even if the top part of the sifter was left open, there's not a problem. Why? Because the poison of the snake is sponge-like. Meaning, it floats above. So therefore, coming back to the latter b'raisa, the levy can give that barrel of wine that was left uncovered to a kain, because the kain can make use of it, the kain has to sift it. He's not doing it. He can give it. Ask the Gemara one second. Did we not learn that Amar of Simain, in the name of Rabbi Shob and Levi, that that even this din of Rabbi Nechemiah is only if it wasn't mixed. Means when the venom, when the snake drank water, even if it deposited poison, that poison will float to the top. But if someone later mixed up that cup of water, then you cannot sift it out. And if you're going to sift wine, I mean, if you're gonna, the kain is going to sift the swine, he'll be mixing it. He's going to have to pour it out of one barrel through a sifter. That alone is going to mess it up. Avol teraka, if it was mixed up, asur, answers the Gemara, no. Yeah, if the, if the kain shakes the barrel, then he can no longer use it. But if he gently pours it on top of a material that will sift out the poison, then this wine will be drinkable. Imagine, no, I don't know how people are going to drink it, but no, that's a kind. Hachinami, after the manach midi, you can put something on top of the barrel, and the shafei lay, and you can pour it out slowly. Frek the Gemara, hold on. You're telling me that this b'raise goes in the case, Kishitas Rab Nechemya, we learned, that a levy is allowed to designate from one tomei produce on another tomei produce. Likewise, min from one toir on another toir. A Yisrael can do that only if they're together. Min hamukaf. doesn't have to be min Likewise, min you can give from pure on impure only a levy. A Yisrael cannot do that. If I give my truma, even though I think I'm doing a great thing, I'm giving the kayan from my tahar on my tamay, if it has to be minamukav, I might bring them together, and I might touch them, and I might make everything tamay. However, again, the levy doesn't have that limit. Abel, the Tanakhama says, Aboloi minatame alatoir. Rab Nechemia says, Af minatame alatame loyitiro litroim elabishmel demai. So, one second. How can, we, how can we be speaking about a. Ten barrels, one of them was Tomei. If they are all Tomei, you're not allowed to separate Trumas Maestras because of the rule, ain't Tomei, not Tomei, ala Tomei. Only if it's not certain, untithed produce, only if it's only rabbinically untithed produce called Demai. Answers the Gemara, well, Hachinami, you'll have to answer that the Brais is only speaking about Demai. Omar we learned before, that if the, the barrels were oil, in other words, they have real value to the Kayan, and now you're giving the one that's cracked to the Kayan, don't do that, because there's a great loss. But wine, there isn't such a great loss because it's tummy anyway, he can't drink it. Why is shaman, even though it's tummy considered of great value to the Kayan? Because the Royal Hadlik, because he can use it. Yeah, he can't consume it, but he can use it for fuel. Yayanami, wine can be used for ziluf, for sprinkling. And if you're going to tell me that sprinkling is not a, a, a common thing or not considered something important, you know, aromatizing. The area with wine, it's not true. When Shmuel taught in the name of Rabkhiya that you should know that that a person who will, will spend one cellar to buy a lug of wine to drink, that person, keeping that same standard of living, should spend two cellar for the same one lug. You're getting double as good wine for, the, for aromatizing. So aromatizing was something that had tremendous value. So, and that can be done with shemen, with yayin, that's tamay. So it does have great value. And we're saying that if something is of great value, then the levy should not give it to the kayin. Answer is the Gemara. It must be, that the wine was chadash. It was a freshly made wine. Wine gets a better aroma. Interesting, the older it gets, the better it smells. Go figure, that's wine. Ay, baha, royal, Okay. Even if it's new, 
wait until it gets old. You know, old is one thing that for sure with time we all get there. Answers the Gemara, ah, since it's Tameh, you cannot keep it in your house waiting for it to get old and therefore buy wine better for you then to sprinkle it because since the wine is Tameh, if your kind will leave it in this house, uh, maybe also, he'll stumble on it. He'll accidentally drink it. It's Tameh. Get rid of it quickly. And you can't sprinkle it so the kind doesn't have so much value. It doesn't have that much value to begin with. That's why you can give it to the coin. Thinking about a shaman nami oil, you'll come to what I call even even though you're gonna you're gonna use it for fuel, but you can't burn it all up in one second. So the Gemara says that oil, you'll remind yourself that it's tummy by putting it into a clay mouse, into a repugnant utensil. It's gonna be why did I put oil in a repugnant? Because I don't want to eat it. Why don't I want to eat it? Ah, because it's tummy, you'll never eat it. So asks the Gemara, why can't you put the new wine in a repugnant vessel? So the Gemara answers, you want to make this wine into aromatizing wine if you put it in something repugnant. It's never going to have a good smell. In other words, if you want to give off a good ruchnis dik aroma, we got to make sure that our keli is not ma'us. And emir tzashem to be continued.